The Laughter Permitted Podcast is brought to you by Ally. Do it right. Hey there. Welcome to Laughter Permitted. We're so glad you're here. I'm Julie Foudy. I'm here with Lynn Elzawi as always. Hi, Lynn. Hi, Julie. We are so honored to tell you about our episode today. Our guest is 94-year-old Holocaust survivor, clinical psychologist, and best-selling author, Dr. Edith Eager. And Jules, in all the time we've worked together, I've never seen you so adamant about wanting to interview <laughs> someone. And that's the truth. I was, I was determined to get Dr. Eager on the pod because I actually learned about her when a friend of mine who's a loyal part of our dope village, Dr. Jan Johnson, said to me, I have the next podcast guest for you. I was like, okay, who is it? Who is it? And then she proceeded to tell me about Dr. Eager and her book. And coincidentally, my mom just happens to say one day, hey, I'm reading this amazing book called The Choice for our book club. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm trying to get her on the pod right now. It's amazing. Um, and then I, of course, told you about it. Mm -hmm. You need to read this book, mm -hmm. I said. Yeah, and it is incredibly powerful, to say the least. It really is. And if you haven't read The Choice, it is Dr. Eager's breathtaking, heart-wrenching, inspiring memoir of how she survived the horrors of the Holocaust, imprisonment at the Auschwitz concentration camp, and ultimately became a psychologist dedicated to supporting others and healing from trauma, something she knew very well. And she also helps all of us understand the power of choice in our lives, hence the title. Um, and you won't believe how I got in touch with Dr. Eager to invite her on the pod, because this was a long process. I actually DM'd her on Twitter. I had started following her when I started reading the book on Twitter. And then one day I went to go check out her Twitter feed. And I'm like, <gasps> she's following me. I'm going to DM her. And she DMs me back. So this whole time I thought she was DMing me back, to which my sister was like, no way, a 94-year-old DM you back. And it turns out Dr. Eager's grandson was keeping tabs on her Twitter and said, you got to do this, Grandma. Thumbs up to him for the grandson. Um, and we also want to give a shout out to Dr. Eager's assistant, Katie, who was awesome in helping us set up the interview. But that's how we got her. And that brings us today to this interview, which I am beyond grateful that we got to do. And before we dive into the episode a bit more on Dr. Eager and her background, she is, I said, a practicing psychologist. She wrote The Choice when she was 90 years old. And we talk about why she wanted to share her story. In 1944, when Dr. Eager was just 16 years old, she and her family were sent to Auschwitz by the Nazis as they were Jews living in Nazi-occupied Hungary. And upon arrival at Auschwitz, Dr. Eager's mother and father were sent to the gas chambers. Dr. Eager and her older sister, Magda, survived the death camp together, including a death march as the war was coming to a close. And on May 4th, 1945, an American soldier saved Dr. Eager's life and Magda's life when he noticed her hand move amongst a pile of corpses. And in 1949, Dr. Eager 
moved to the United States with her husband and daughter. And in 1969, she received a degree in psychology and eventually her doctorate. Along with a prolific clinical practice, Dr. Eager is a speaker who spreads her message of wanting people to reach their full potential by overcoming self-imposed limitations and, equally important, making the choice to be free. Dr. Edith Eager is incredible. Her spirit, her passion for life, all of it. Can't wait for you all to hear her story. So get comfortable listening. It's Dr. Edith Eager. Hey there, Dope Village. Lynn and I have been involved in women's sports our entire lives. And truly, we've never been more excited for what's to come in this women's sports space. And one big reason, Ally. Ally has made a commitment to an equal media investment in women's and men's sports. And that means more money going to women's sports and more visibility for what these incredible athletes are accomplishing. Ally is on a mission to change the game for women's sports. So here at Laughter Permitted, we're going to keep telling the stories of trailblazing women and every time you listen in, you are part of that change. To learn more about Ally, go to ally.com. Hey there, Dope Village. As y'all know, Ally has backed Laughter Permitted since day one of our podcast as our financial ally. And honestly, Lynn, I might just tattoo Ally on my forehead. And Ally is currently on a mission to change the game for women sports. And get this, along with being sponsors of the National Women's Soccer League, Atlantic Coast Conference, United States Golf Association, and the Las Vegas Aces, Ally has committed to an equal media investment in women's and men's sports. And you, my friends, can be part of the change by watching your favorite athletes crush it on TV, by going to women's sporting events in person, by, I don't know, maybe listening to every single episode of this amazing podcast on trailblazing women. Because every time you show up for women's sports, you are helping move the game forward. You can learn more about Ally by visiting ally.com. Kick back, relax, and unwind. Let's have a good time finding the joy in life. We're smiling so bright, talking and laughing combined. Feeling all right, get comfortable listening. It's laughter permitted. Hi, Lynn. Hi, Julie. Hi, Dr. Eager. How are you? I think I'm talking to two very powerful women. <laughs> oh, yes. Very powerful. <laughs> We're going to be a threesome. That's right. We're going to take over the world next. Look out, people. That's right. Here we come. <laughs> Oh, you are such a gem for taking the time to do this. I was saying how just incredibly excited uh, we are to talk to you because we've had a lot of amazing women on this podcast, but your story and and not only obviously your books, which which we love, um, but just the joy and and uh, kindness that pours out of you in everything you do is is such an inspiration to both of us. So thank you for th taking the time. We so appreciate it. 
We're going to turn anxiety into excitement. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. We're starting off strong. Yes. Not, not strong, but women of strength, because our strength comes from the inside. Isn't that the truth for women? Edie, you're 94 years young, a Holocaust yes. survivor. You've written two best-selling books. You still, to this day, uh -huh. maintain a busy clinical psychology practice in San Diego. And yes. correct me if I'm wrong, you have three kids of your own, five grandkids, and how many great-grandkids right now? Seven. Seven. That's my revenge to Hitler. <laughs> You you are full of life and you have this sparkle in your eyes, yet you survived the world's yes. worst genocide of all times. It's estimated six million Jews were killed by the Nazi regi regime, two out of three European Jews. And now, as you've said, you're determined to not let history repeat itself. And so we're just so thrilled that and honored that you're you're willing to share your story with us today. Thank you. Thank you for mentioning because as we speak, we still have genocide, but never in the history of mankind, such a unfortunate scientific and systematic elimination of people existed because 15 highly educated people celebrated in the evening that they can put 30,000 Jews in the oven in one day. So unfortunately, it's, uh, it's something that we want to be sure that this kind of a history will never ever revisit us again. Yeah, and I know you said in the book that that was a big inspiration for you writing the book is to, to share your story. And I, and I love that you know, you're rocking your first book at 90 years old as well. I owe it to my mother and I hope that um, whoever is listening, that their children and grandchildren and great grandchildren going to have the book on their living room table. Because you see, uh, we're not born with hate and love conquers all, I don't have time. so. I do talk about forgiveness, but not any idea that I forgive you for what you did to me. I don't have any kind of godly power, but I want to be sure that I am free and I don't live in hate mm -hmm. because if I would, I would still be a prisoner. Mm -hmm. So it's really reclaiming your innocence and assign the shame and guilt to the perpetrator. And that's why I, the work includes grieving, feeling, and healing, because you cannot heal what you don't feel. So we cry a lot, because what comes out of your body doesn't make you ill, what stays in there does. Mm -hmm. You cover so much of what you just said in your book, Dr. Eager, The Choice, and I have to echo Julie's sentiment. It's truly an honor to be speaking with you today. Thank you. Why did you call your book The Choice? For many years, people asked me to write a book, and I would say automatically, I have nothing to say. I have nothing to say. But then one day, Philip Zimbardo called me, 
who wrote actually the foreword to the choice and said to me the people who survived and are famous are all men we need a female voice just like you in sports and that really did it for me that was the shot in my arm that uh, that i chose the choice and to be able to uh, have the female voice of Viktor Frankl. But Viktor Frankl was in hysteris when I was in Auschwitz and I was 16. So we came in a different time. I was in love. I was in love with someone who told me I have beautiful eyes and beautiful hands. So I would go to everyone and ask him, tell me about my hands, tell me about my eyes. Because if I survive today, then tomorrow I'm going to be free. And what he told me that he too closed his eyes and he imagined himself in a Viennese lecture hall lecturing about the psychology of the concentration camp. Mm -hmm. So our mind were in different places. To fully understand your story, um, I'd like to give it just a little bit of context for our listeners who who maybe haven't read the b- book. And if if you would, let's start in 1944. Uh, you're 16 years old, Edie. You're living in Hungary with your parents and your sister Magda. Your younger sister yeah. Clara is off in Czechoslovakia pursuing her musical career. And and by all accounts from your book, you have a good life. You have your boyfriend, Eric, which you just mentioned. You're reading books alongside the river. You're a trained ballet dancer and gymnast with hopes of actually going to the Olympics one day. And then one night in 1944, suddenly your world is flipped on its head. There's a knock at the door. SS soldiers yeah. show up. You have to leave your house and you're gathered with other local Jews and eventually... You're on a cattle car, and your mom says something to you in that moment that you talk about in the book. Can you share her message? We didn't know where we were going to end up. My mother said, no one ever can take away what you put in your mind. Mm -hmm. So she's being missed. I never had an adult relationship with Mm -hmm. my mother when I had children. I didn't have... Uh, my mom with me, and I miss her even today. Mm -hmm. And I think I owe it to my mother to really tell everyone what happens when good people are taught how to hate. Mm -hmm. And you say throughout the book that, that her telling you that in that moment saved your life because you knew the soldiers could never take your mind. You had your mind. And I decided that they were the prisoners, not me. Right. See, they could have put me in a gas chamber any minute, but they never could murder my spirit. So I I think it was important for me to feel sorry for them and turn hatred into pity. Mm -hmm. Mm. I told they have a conscience and someday they're going to pay for wearing this uniform and I never allowed them to get to me. And that's what I teach today, you know, how to respond, not how to react. There is a stimulus, and then there is a response. So I tell in school, when someone says you, 
in the English language, you're going to be dumped on. You are stupid, you are uh, this and you are that. And you don't interrupt that person, just say to yourself, the longer they talk, the more relaxed I become. You take the negative stimuli, turn it into positive, and when they're done, you say, thank you for your opinion. Mm. It takes two to fight, it takes one to stop it. That's important in sports because you've got to be a good sport to be a good athlete. And it's hard in the emotion of that moment, isn't it, to not react? Did you read anywhere that life is easy? (laughs) Nope. (laughs) Did you ever read that, that life is a guarantee? There is no guarantee. There is no certainty. There is probability. Yeah. There were just so many sections. I mean, I really would love to have sat with you for three days for this podcast, honestly. But and and the emotion that is drawn out when you're going through everything, when you're telling us about everything that's happening at Auschwitz. But a couple passages we wanted to pull up. And one of them that really struck me is I had thought in, in an environment this horrifying as Auschwitz, that a person's basic primal instinct would be survival of self, meaning take care of me. And and that's that's the most important thing. But you write, in my first weeks at Auschwitz, I learned the rules of survival. If you can steal a piece of bread from the guards, you are a hero. But if you still steal from an inmate, you are disgraced. You die. Competition and domination get you nowhere. Cooperation is the name of the game. To survive is to transcend your own needs and commit yourself to something or someone outside yourself. You get it. You Uh, get it because if you were only the me, 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 you didn't make it. And uh, that's what it took. It took a family of inmates just like you two here, Julie and Lynn, you do together more than you alone, or you know, you, you have more power because you empower each other with your differences. You have a person who is listening to you. That's why God gave us two ears and one mouth, so <laughs> we can talk less and listen more. <laughs> So that's what you are, compassionate listener. Mm. There is only one of you, and you celebrate your uniqueness, your one of a kindness. Never be another you, Lynn and and Julie, never be another you. Mm. How tall are you? (laughs) You can't, I know you can't tell in Zooms, right? I'm six foot five, Dr. Eager. No, I'm five six. Wow. Lynn is pretty tall, though. I am about six feet tall. How how tall are you? Oh, don't ask me because <laughs> I have a bad scoliosis and uh, it's not going up, it's going down. <laughs> and, uh, actually, the older I am chronologically, the younger I feel because I give up the need for other people's approval. Mm. I think that's a good thing to give up. Not everybody is going to want you, love you, and that's okay. I'd rather be hated than overlooked. 
Hmm. We just we just learned a new acronym recently called FOPO. Have you heard of that one? You know, there's a FOMO, like fear of missing out. There's one called yes. FOPO, and it's fear of other people's opinions and how, <laughs> and the fact that now it's like, nah, I don't have any more FOPO once you get older. Nope. I don't have any FOPOs <laughs> as long as I don't do anything um, that my conscience is uh, not going to allow me. I think some people have over-invested conscience. Everything is mea culpa, you know, everything is my fault. I don't think you need guilt and worry. Guilt is in the past. Guilt is a past-oriented world. Worry is in the future. The worry is the most unfortunate, really the worst emotion you can practice. Mm. Worry never helped anybody. It's very neurotic. And you never worry about good things happening. <laughs> How important is it to stay in the present moment? I think I live in a present myself. Um, I don't f forget the past and I don't overcome it. I don't know what that word is. You know, there are triggers that remind you of something you never thought you ever going to think of. You see, the memory is there, and hopefully that you invite it in and revisit the past. You go through the valley of the shadow of death, but don't get stuck in there. Mm. I call it constipation. And when you constipate it, <laughs> concentrate on a movement. You're not revolving, but you're evolving. Mm. Just like a butterfly. You go through the ages, stages, and then you shed the chrysalis so you can fly freely like a butterfly. Yes. You were not born really into this profession. How did you decide to be where you are and enjoy what you're doing? Not just for the money, even mm -hmm. if you don't get paid, you would want to be where you are. Mm -hmm. Julie and I are fortunate to yes. work together as friends, as colleagues, and our podcast is intentionally called Laughter Permitted because we believe in the power of laughter. What is remarkable is that you talk about how laughter was actually part of surviving Auschwitz. A lifesaver. We did more ridiculous things that I can tell you about <laughs> just to keep things going between us. Why is laughter so powerful? It's energy. It's good energy. It's everything is energy. Laughter is an energy in motion. You mentioned in the book it took you you decades before you were willing to tell your own kids um, about being a Holocaust survivor. What made you finally decide to yes. share your story and share it with the world, Edie? When I decided I was uh, lecturing at the University of Texas about battered wives, and I began to talk about learned helplessness. And, uh, and the professor wanted to know 
how many know the word Auschwitz? And just a few hands went up. Mm. And that's when I decided I owe it to my parents. I got to talk about Auschwitz. So I remember asking myself when I was in Auschwitz, does anyone know that I'm here? Mm-hmm. I felt thrown out. I felt I've done something wrong. I felt that nobody ever knows that there is such a thing as Auschwitz. Mm. Mm-hmm. So when you did tell your kids, finally, what was their reaction? It was my husband. Mm-hmm. My husband talked to my daughter who was wearing a beautiful orange dress to go to the dance in her school. And my late husband said, have a good time, my darling. Your mother was in Auschwitz when you were, when she was 16 like you. I thought I was gonna kill my husband. That's what I thought. <laughs> I said, How dare you talk to her like that when she is on her way and out. So my husband was the one who spoke much more than I did. Well, I came to America penniless, and I didn't speak a word of English, and I wanted to be a Yankee Doodle Dandy like you. <laughs> I wanted to assimilate. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't want to be different. That meant inferior. And I felt already inferior to begin with. So I just went underground. And that's what happened. I came to America and I went to the university and I begged them to take me on. And I begged them long enough until they accepted me on probation in January. And they put me a class called English as a Second Language. Mm-hmm. And guess what happened? We had to learn how to write an essay. I didn't know the word essay from the Holinagram. <laughs> but, but I remember the teacher saying, it's just like a good preacher. Tell them what you're going to say. Say it and then tell them what you said. <laughs> called an essay. So I did that, and then I put it the way I thought the teacher wants it, and I won. Oh. And then they forgot about me. And then I made the dean's list, and then I graduated with honors. You see what happens when you have this chutzpah. I never finished high school, and I graduated cum laude. So if I can do it, you can do it too. But you have to want to do it. You have to have the desire. Mm. So good. You also also wrote, uh, and I loved this line, "It, it took me many decades to discover that I could come at my life with a different question. Not why did I live, but what is mine to do with the life I have been given? That's right. Uh. People don't come to me, they're sent to me. And then I think that when people say, I lost my son. No, you didn't lose your son because he died at 29 and you had 29 years with that son. So which one are you going to celebrate? Mm. It's not, I, 
you know, win and lose, no, that's not life. It's, it's the way you think about it that is mm -hmm. a big difference. I call Auschwitz an opportunity to discover, to discover the part in me that never gives up. No matter what happens, I don't say why me, I say what now. Mm. To hear how you started with a course as English is your second language, go on to become a clinical psychologist. Mm -hmm. In your life and career, you have supported countless patients who have experienced trauma in their lives. For you, what was your path to your own healing? I have yet to arrive myself. I cry a lot many times, with or without the patient. Mostly when they leave, I, I am triggered uh, that uh, I'm not the only one, there are other people, and that it's okay to acknowledge that and not to think mm -hmm. that I am different, but I'm not inferior. Mm. I think to me, therapy is grief. Not what happened, but what didn't happen. Mm. And, the, and the example is that my granddaughter, Lindsay, also was going to her dance. This is years later, and um, to a school called Bishops in La Jolla. And I bought her a beautiful dress. And I came home, and out of the blue, I am crying and I'm not understanding. What am I crying about? I know I'm a big, big mother on, on uh, giving and getting things uh, that are the best. So I think it was a Laura Ashley original. So I come home and I'm crying and the two doesn't go together. And I'm asking myself, what am I crying about? And it took me quite a while to acknowledge that I'm not crying because Lindsay went to a, a dance and uh, I bought her a beautiful dress. I cried because I never went to a dance. Mm. That's what we do in therapy. We use a lot of defense mechanisms. Denial, oh, it wasn't bad at all. Minimizing. Because when Marian came home, when she was a little girl, and she cried because she wasn't invited to the birthday party, I completely denied her feelings. And I said, oh, that's not really important. I just baked a seven-layer chocolate cake. I'm going to take you to the kitchen, and I'm going to make you a chocolate milkshake with a piece of cake. Mm -hmm. I didn't know how to meet her at her level mm -hmm. and keep her feelings company. I didn't know passionate, compassionate. Uh, I didn't know empathy. I didn't know any of that. With with all that you have experienced in your life, yes. the, the segregation, the discrimination, yes. and it's still very present in the world today. Yes. What's your hope for the future? And how how can we create a better place to live together? Basically, Edie, can you fix the world, please? Let me just tell you a little thing. When I was nine, ten years old, I spent a lot of time learning. 
about what we call America today. So when I came to America and I began to learn English, I felt so beautifully loved. And yet, when I worked in a factory, and I'm talking now November mm -hmm. uh, 1949, when I went to the bathroom, one of them said, colored. How do you think I felt mm. coming to America looking for democracy mm -hmm. and I find prejudice? Mm. Prejudice means to prejudge. So believe me, we are now very separated. People mm. ask me, are you happy? How can I be happy when I go here to the border and children are looking for their parents? Mm -hmm. They're separated. I think happy to me is a very generous word. Mm -hmm. You know, um, you know, I can be very cheerful and all that, but I think it's very important to think about happy. How can we have world peace? Mm -hmm. And we need to question authority rather mm -hmm. than blindly ever adhere to authority. Okay, that's very important for us to question authority. Yeah, of course it is. We we do um, these segments at the end of our podcasts um, that we wanted to do with you. Uh, one of them is called Most Pressing Questions. Are you ready, Dr. Eager, for Most Pressing Questions? Of course. <laughs> of course. Okay, first most pressing question is, what is your favorite Hungarian dish to cook your grandkids? Oh, I think it's the chicken paprika. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. I've heard about this dish. I just had it. I gave it away yesterday. Uh -huh. uh, part of it, the leftovers, I gave it to my hairdresser. And she gobbled it up and <laughs> she took home the leftovers. Yes. Uh, well, I just live an hour north of you, so I'm coming down for some of that chicken. That sounds good to me. <laughs> there is another one that it's called the Seke goulash. And oh. if I make one of those, we'll save you some. Okay, thank you. We have one more most pressing question, which is... What is your favorite TV show? Jeopardy. <laughs> I am addicted to Jeopardy. I never go to bed without Jeopardy. <laughs> and I was invited to go to Arizona uh, a while ago. And that's where I met Mr. Jennings who won over $2 million. Oh, no way. <laughs> brilliant man, beautiful, brilliant, young, um, charismatic, lovely man. And uh. got a big hug. I gave him a big hug and told him, I don't go to bed without jeopardy. And, <laughs> and he, he gave us a test. Um, you know what? It's difficult. It's extreme. <laughs> to think so quickly and knowing the answer. You really have to know everything 
about everything. You should be the next host, Dr. Eager. Even, even Emil Zola. And nobody knew the answer but me. Yeah, right. <laughs> so I'm yelling, I'm yelling in my bed, in my bedroom. I'm all alone and nobody <laughs> hears me. And I'm so happy because I know the answer to Jeopardy. <laughs> I would never, I never, never could think so quickly. Um, those people are very brilliant. Mm. Our last segment of the podcast is something we call high, low cheer. And it's from actually something we do as a family around my dinner table. Uh, we do it with our kids. It's their high of the day, their low of the day, and someone they cheer for to teach them about gratitude and celebrating others. Beautiful. Yes, thank you. But for you, Dr. Eager, we would like to do the high of your life, the low of your life, and your cheer is for someone who's helped you along the way. Wow. Start with the high, if you would. Ah, in my life, when I, when I was accepted uh, at the ballet school, mm. uh, when I was, uh, I was training someone else, um, but unfortunately, the lowest was that I was not qualified to go ever to the Olympics because I'm Jewish. Mm. And that's when, that's when I, it came to me, because that was my life. I would practice at least five hours every day. When I read that part in the book of how much you loved to dance and the gymnastics, and then your coach telling you, yes. you're not going to be eligible simply because you're Jewish. Oh, I started you sobbing. Have to name someone else. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, and then on top of that, you're going to train the person who's taking your spot. Oh. You see, and that's why I'm telling you that uh, uh, we are not born to hate, and uh, we're born hopefully with love and mm -hmm. most of all passion for life. I still have the passion. I still believe that the young people are going to look at me as a good role model and stop hating and um, start loving themselves because self-love is self-care. It's mm -hmm. not narcissistic. <laughs> and then the final one, Dr. Eager, is the cheer. So someone you're grateful for who helped you along the way. I know that's a hard one. Well, let me just think. Mm -hmm. Take your time. I think the mother who told me in the cattle car that no matter what happens, mm. you never can be told by anyone that you're less than human. Mm -hmm. We cannot thank you enough. I, I for I know that you're you are so crazed with your clinical practice and all you're doing the seven grand great grandsons 
You are such a gift. You really you. Are. You are. The life you have lived and now you're sharing it with others and inspiring them. As long as I live, I'm going to, I'm never going to retire. Mm. Oh, and we love that you finish every speech with a high kick. Maybe we should finish with a high kick, all of us. Let's go. Back it up, Edie. Ready? Very good, very good. Your kick is still way up there. Edie's high kick, it was literally wrapped around her neck, her leg. It was that high. <laughs> Crazy. I think it's safe to say Dr. Eager outkicked us both. <laughs> She outkicked us for sure. Uh, all right, Lynn, what was your takeaway? I so admire Dr. Eager's zest for life. For instance, when we did the mm. high kick, she actually stood up, got up from her chair, kicked her leg up, no hesitation. <laughs> so to see Dr. Eager at 94, still making the most of life, wanting to help people. And as she said, life isn't always easy, but ultimately yeah. we have a daily choice of how to live and in reading her book and having the opportunity to speak with her, she is proof of that. Yeah. Isn't she ever? Look at the life she's lived. She was literally almost one of those corpses when the American soldier found her on top of that pile. And now her willingness to share her story. And she, you know, that has to be so hard to relive and retell. But as she says, she said in the podcast, she says in the book, by her sharing her story, she wants to do her part to make sure history does not repeat itself. And I also love that her courage to live with such purpose and passion helps allow others to be courageous. Mm. So mm -hmm. essentially, she makes courage contagious. There you have it. I like that. Questions permitted, Lynn. Well, the choice has so many great passages and it got me thinking about your love of quotes. So this question is a Lynn Ozawa original. Julie, I was wondering, what is your favorite quote? Mm. I do love me some quotes. I have my quote book. I don't have my quote book on me to go through it. But my one go-to I think of often actually, I'm not sure it's my favorite of all time. But it's my one go-to I love is uh, Cicero's. It's from an essay. It's in Latin. I'm not going to give it to you in Latin. I'll give it to you in English. <laughs> to be rather than to seem. To be rather than to seem. Mm. Meaning, and I think of this often when I think about, especially because I have two teenagers. Well, a 14 and 12-year-old, almost two teenagers. And there's... There's a lot of pressure to seem to be a certain way or mm -hmm. to seem to be happy and perfect and all these things. And um, my big thing to, to my kids and to everyone is just to be, to mm. be you, to be glorious, you, gloriously you and, <laughs> and stop seeming anything else. Just be you. Mm. So that's why I love that quote. Yeah, that's a good one. And tell people about your quote book. Oh, my quote book I've had since college. I just have always loved quotes. Mm -hmm. And so I just, every time I'm reading something or reading something out of the newspaper or I hear something from a movie, I jot it down and I try and transfer it over to the quote book mm -hmm. eventually. It's a good one. But I've had it for 20 plus years. I've had the pleasure of seeing the quote book and it's interesting to see your handwriting evolve 
over those right. <laughs> 20 years. But yeah, there's a lot, a lot of good stuff in there. Turn into scribble. Okay, what's your favorite quote, Lynn? My go-to is, when life kicks you, let it kick you forward from KL, North Carolina State basketball mm-hmm. coach. That's very fitting. Was that for Dr. Edith Eager's kick? Oh, a full circle moment. I like how you put that together. It's great. Yeah, that's perfect. Thank you for sharing another episode with us. We sure do love our dope village. And we also love and appreciate our sponsors, Ally and Dick's Sporting Goods, along with the uber-talented Kate Diaz, who wrote and composed our theme music. Check out her music. And as we leave today, we encourage all of you to do your own high kick right now. Should we do it, Lynn? Yes. Let's go. High kick it together, Dope Village. On three. One, two, three. Ow! Hold my hamstring, I think. And as always, kids, sing it with us. Laughter permitted. I am addicted to Jeopardy. Hey Dope Village, the NHL is back in full swing and that means you can stream your team's games on ESPN Plus from the Stanley Cup champion Tampa Bay Lightning to the brand new Seattle Kraken. Subscribe to ESPN Plus so you don't miss a goal. Also be sure to follow In the Crease, the ESPN NHL podcast with Linda Cohn and Emily Kaplan. And while you're at it, get the inside scoop on the biggest NBA news and hear from the stars on and off the court on the Woj Pod. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.